When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 255. Today's episode is all about a new spiritual understanding of resurrection and the uplifting of humanity. One of the problems we have is that every memory we hold was forged through the lens of separation. And every idea of history and what happened when is still forged with this belief that we're separate from source. And so as long as we're operating that way, we're going to be reclaiming and recreating separation because it's what we're going to expect. That's the lens of the camera. And so what they're doing now is they're working with the reclamation of memory in the divine, you know. And that isn't to say that they're erasing history or erasing memory. They're just reclaiming things with a different lens, with a higher lens, I would suggest, of knowing that is not born through the belief in separation, because that colors everything. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'd like to share a review from Greg who says, I can say with conviction that Melissa is such a terrific host. She's artful at allowing the conversation to flow openly and brings out the best in her guests. Overall, I would give her program my highest rating. Thank you so much for leaving this review. As you all know, these are my favorite part of having a podcast. It just really lights me up to hear how Mind Love is benefiting you guys. So thank you for taking the time. What fears do you have about the world right now? I've noticed that whatever side of any of the many arguments that are front and center in the world right now, all views are based in fear. Fear of change or being outcast. Fear of more danger or less freedom. Fear of less choice or more harm. Even those who think their views are based on love, whether for an individual or a marginalized group, Often, their responses and reactions to the arguments are more based on the fear of, what if? What if this doesn't go my way? What if this happens? What if that happens? Than it is for the pure love of the groups that they believe that they're serving. I could be wrong, but it seems that the love for one shouldn't come at the hatred or blame or judgment of another. I'll be honest, I've struggled with fear these last few years. All the unknowns of what is to come feel darker than usual for me. Maybe it's because I'm having kids. It can feel like an ominous time to bring babies into the world. What freedoms will they have or not have? What control will they be under? What resources will they lack? 
Will they be shamed or scared or hungry? I suppose all mothers feel this way on some level, but a lot has changed in the last few years, especially around our expectations of each other. We look at one another as though our neighbor is the one who is the cause of all that's wrong with the world. And none of us fully grasp that if you led an identical life as the person so different from you, you might just think just like her. Here's what I do know. I don't see the full picture. I can't see the divine design of things, of anything. I just can't. I'm human with an extremely limited perspective, no matter how educated I am. I also know that judgments, blame, anger, fear, all create my own suffering. What if we could all act purely in love? What would that even look like? How would it feel? What would I do? What world would we co-create? The one thing I know for certain is that it's impossible if we're all driven by ego. So how do we rise above it? Well, I am so, so, so honored to be sharing this episode. My absolute favorite guest is back on the show for the fourth time. If you haven't heard of Paul Selig, clear your calendar for a couple months and dive into every single one of his books. Just kidding. Although, also, kind of dead serious. Paul Selig is a spiritual channeler. He channels a group of entities that call themselves the guides. He's written, or I should say channeled, 10 books now. And get this, every one of his books are, quote, written in just a few weeks, but they're actually spoken in front of a live audience and then transcribed with zero editing. And every line of his books is quotable. The truth they hold is palpable. Just listening to the audiobooks creates a spiritual experience for me every single time. So when a new book is released, I devour it. For those who want to go really deep, I recommend starting with book one, I Am The Word, but you can also just dive right into the most recent and it has everything needed to not just get through these times, but to evolve during these times. To make this episode even more awesome, Paul actually channels the guides multiple times to get a deeper perspective of the questions that I ask. And you'll hear he does this in an interesting way. He actually speaks a line almost under his breath and then repeats it afterwards. So even in order to do this, there's like no way you can be thinking about this on the fly. That's really difficult to do. So sit back, clear distractions, and take in the next hour because I honestly believe that we are receiving a pretty powerful gift in having access to these transmissions. A little more about Paul Selig, he's considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels working today, and his breakthrough works of channeled literature include I Am the Word, The Book of Love and Creation, The Book of Knowing and Worth, The Book of Mastery, The Book of Truth, The Book of Freedom, and the Beyond the Known trilogy, Realization, Alchemy, and the Kingdom. Altogether, he's recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. So three key things we will learn are the only true problem humanity has ever faced and how to transcend it, how to go from efforting to aligning, and the higher perspective of everything occurring now and what is to come. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. 
Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome my favorite guest ever, Paul Selig, back to the show. Thanks for having me. So how have you been? I know that probably the energy that you have to hold during these book launches is so intense and and you do so much to serve the community with your live streams and these shows and all of the things that you provide. I mean, I'm fine. You know, I'm almost done, I think, channeling the next book. So I was in a session for that this morning and then I'm you know, trying to support the launch of the book that came out yesterday. So it's busy, but, you know, it's productive, I have to say. I really can't complain. I feel glad to be busy. Well, the book that was just released that I am knee-deep in is Resurrection. How have you seen the message shift in this book compared to all of the previous books? I think they've really shifted the focus towards world service through their work. I mean, they've been preparing us in a lot of ways for what they're doing now. They're talking about the upper room, which is the state of consciousness that they're instructing us to. And they call it the octave above the one that we've known ourselves through, or a level of Christ consciousness. That's a word that they've used, a phrase they've used to describe it. But they're talking about really claiming a foundation there so that the world can be reclaimed through that level of alignment or that level of vibrational accord. This newest book has been so helpful or hopeful, I I want to call it, for me. I have a lot of uh, religious people in my life, and I'm kind of the one that strays. And and I was on your live stream yesterday, and you took one of my questions about that. And and. In a way, I can I have these messages from one side coming through about, you know, end of times and and there are these signs that seem to point to it. And just the message of resurrection, the way the guides talk about what we've confused and and what this is really supposed to mean and how this is happening, is it just is a lot more hopeful for me than <laughs> the messages coming at me from the other side. Huh. And so when the guides talk about humanity being having chosen to lift, chosen to survive, and the world being made anew. What is it that you envision that looking like? I don't have a sense of it. I mean, they say you can't, really. You know, they've said, and they're addressing this in the book that they're dictating now, you can only imagine things based on sort of your idea of history and what you believe to be possible. And they say a world made new is a world re-seen or reclaimed beyond the idea of fear and separation, and they say fear is an evocation of the idea of separation, that we're separate from our source. And they say, in fact, we've never been, but we've claimed it as a way to learn and that we've accrued all this evidence to support the fact that we're separate. And we're now having to contend with those creations that support the idea of separations in order to move beyond them. And they've been saying that, you know, through me for 12 years. In the very first book, they said humanity is at a time of reckoning, and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And that everything that's been created in fear needs to be reclaimed or reset 
seen or renown in a higher way. That's very much what this teaching is. So I understand that it's not about improvement. It's not about just being more polite or everybody looking presentable. I don't know. The ideas that we have about God or divinity, it's usually like, let's put a pink bow on a kitten, you know, and that's not reality. But they say reality is the divine and all things can and must be renowned as the source of it. And that's a process, they say, of translation in some ways or transposition. They say everything is expressing in vibration or tone. And we're operating in this common field, which is reality as we know it. And what they're, they say that any piece of music can be sung in a higher octave. And what they're doing is teaching us to be resung or supporting us in that level of realization. And they stay at that level of consciousness by nature of presence and being, you're actually shifting what you encounter through co-resonance. So in other words, the divine in you sees the divine in all things because it can't not do that. It's not trying to do that. It can't not do that. So the process of rearticulation, which is what they call it, or the manifestation of the divine, claims the manifest world in divinity. And they say it's, it's, it's basically a template, a higher template or a higher way of, of expressing that they say is already here, but we're now having to align to at the cost of our ideas of who we are, which are all born in this sense of separateness. One of the things that you say in the book is that, well, we're talking about how humanity has collectively chosen that we are going to be, yeah. see the world reborn. And, but you also, in the, or the guides mention in the book that each human being is given the choice for this reconciliation in a lifetime, but it may not always be chosen. And choosing the darkness doesn't make you evil, but it, it perhaps makes you afraid. And so on what level where the collective is choosing, individuals may not choose. Me as an individual, for instance, it's like, yes, I want to choose that. I also kind of go back and forth with, I need to make sure this isn't the small self and the ego saying, yes, make me the special one, as the guides say. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. 
I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And so on what level where the collective is choosing, individuals may not choose. Me as an individual, for instance, it's like, yes, I want to choose that. I also kind of go back and forth with, I need to make sure this isn't the small self and the ego saying, yes, make me the special one, as the guides say. I don't know. You know, I, I, they lectured this morning to a small group of people who I, you know, assemble for the book dictations. And they said, everybody's going to get this eventually. You know, it's going to happen, but it happens when we can hold it. And holding it means we have to be able to claim the level of consciousness that they're teaching. And we do that really at the cost of letting go of the ideas of who and what we thought we were. And that's happening at the level of the collective and the individual. So I sometimes say, you know, I think I'm a better student of the guide's work than I give myself credit for sometimes. I was thinking about that recently. And they've said as much to me, you know, you're, 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 you're operating at this level, but you're so stuck in your old habits that you don't always see it. Or your old the habits being my old ways of thinking about myself and others. So I don't know that there's a right to this, they've said, the guides have actually said, it's going to be four generations before this is sort of made manifest. And we're beginning this process now. This is happening through us now. And I find it very hopeful um, what they're saying. And when they said humanity's made a choice to, to, to survive, they basically had said in prior texts, you know, we have created the means for our self-destruction under the, under the guise of being safe. So we build bigger bombs to stay safe, which they say is the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. Because bombs finally are meant to go off. And they have said, if you think that they won't, you're, you're, you're being foolish. Because one day they may well do that. And they've also said that we're aware of this at a level collectively. We're, we're, a lev- we're aware at a level of how far we've gone towards separation and polarization. That, you know, if we continue on the trajectory that we've been going on, it's going to be pretty tough. So when they say humanity has chosen at a higher level, I mean, I've never heard this before, but they were speaking almost about like group soul. You know, humanity as, at, a, at a level of consciousness made this choice. I think how individuals align to this is probably done through will because the guides have always said you have free will and, you know, they don't tell us what to do and they won't override it. But they do teach us to align the will to a higher level so that we're we're operating more from what they would call our innate knowing. And they say our true knowing is the God within. 
The true self knows, they say, the small self thinks. Nothing wrong with thinking. We all do it. But there's a vast difference between knowing and thinking. And the guides have said, when you truly know something, you're never afraid. And when you're not choosing in fear, you're not replicating fear. You're not contributing to the polarity that we're experiencing here. So that's how I see it. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but... It wasn't really a question. It was opening up a discussion, uh, and there was plenty in there. But one of the things they talk about, because we humans are like, well, I need to try to do this. I need to push myself to do this. And and we get so caught up in efforting, as they call it, versus aligning or being. And so mm-hmm. as a student of the guides, when you catch yourself thinking, and you know it's the small self, or you catch yourself efforting, what do you do to let go of that and try to I guess try is the wrong word. (laughs) I don't try to fix it. I mean, if I'm in my stuff and I'm in my stuff, I know I'm in my stuff. I've been given tools to work with it. You know, the guides have said a lot, you know, the small self, they said self-righteousness is always the small self. So when I'm up on my high horse or I'm thinking I know better than this one or that one, I know I'm operating that way. But I also understand that when I do that, I'm incurring the challenges that that brings. They've said a million times, who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. That's a level of coherence or vibrational accord or what you damn damns you back. Not that the other person or thing is doing something. It's just you're agreeing to that person or thing at that that level of vibration. So I understand that I have the option to go to the higher and it's a really truly simple teaching. I mean, the guides have said, if you're denying the divine in another, you've denied it in yourself. You can't have it both ways. And I think we live in a culture where we like to be right and we like to be vindicated and we like to see people suffer and all of those things. It's the cause of much pain. So I can't say that I'm exempt from that, but I will say I'm vastly improved from how I used to be you know, surprisingly so to me some days. And that's not that I don't get stuck in my old stuff, but I do feel that I have the tools. See, the guides say the true self isn't afraid. So I know that if I'm operating at that other level, I'm in some ways just agreeing to that idea that is in separation. You know, and I I gotta say, there's a difference between prudence and fear. I live on Maui, there are sharks. If there's a sign on the beach saying sharks don't swim. That's not fear. That's like, I'm not going to get in the water today. There's a shark, you know, but I don't know. You know, I, let me, let me ask what, what one does and see if I hear anything. Cause that's really probably the question. We're saying what you may do is realize who and what you are and what you're entrenched, and that what you're entrenched in is an idea of another, is an idea of another, an idea of the self, or an idea of the self born through separation, born through separation. You can give that agreement. You can give that agreement if you want to go on a roll, if you want to go on a roll and have that experience and have that experience, or you can simply change your mind, or you can simply change your mind and move to the higher and move to the higher, where what is true is always true, where what is true is always true. For example, for example, that person's made like that person did something that I didn't like, but I may know who that person is, but I may know who that person is beyond the act they've done, beyond the act they have done, period. You're saying period. Yeah, that's so helpful. I feel like probably the thing I get caught up in most with is judgment, which is interesting because I don't feel like a judgmental person, but I catch myself. And maybe that 
I'm watching for it. I notice it more often. But one mm. of the helpful teachings they gave was just that every human being is of God and we're all here to learn in very different ways. And you can't mm. be the arbiter of who learns and what they should yeah. learn by your decision. And so it's kind of like this mantra that goes through my mind when I'm like, why is that person doing that? And I'll kind of step back and say, that's their way of learning. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, exactly right. One of the things they talk about too is they call it the prohibition. They said the prohibition has ended with this choice that we make. Uh, the prohibition to union has ended specifically. Was this a spiritual contract with humanity? You kind of mentioned groups of souls. I have no idea. I don't. I mean, I remember them using the, the word and being struck by that. You know, I don't read the books. I mean, when I'm taking vacation, my eyes are closed. I'm literally word, you know, phrase, phrase, phrase. That's how the whole thing comes. I don't always proof the lectures. There's somebody who's really wonderful who knows the work and proofs it off the transcriptionist copy against the recordings again. And then that's what I read finally at the end when the book is done. But the only time I really read the book for, for front to end is when the audiobook is being recorded and I have to. And then I go, oh, my God, this makes sense after all. I didn't know that it did. So I don't remember what they meant by prohibition in the context that you're speaking of. I'll see the idea of prohibition. The idea of prohibition means you're allowed, means that you are not allowed. You have been inhibited. You have been inhibited from true expression, from true expression that has been released. That has been released because it has been countered by the source, because it has been countered by the source. In some ways, the density of the field are known. In some ways, the density of the field you have known has been moved, has been moved to allow for the higher presence, to allow for the higher presence. This is an evolution. This is an evolution that you are participatory, that you are participatory to. In other words, in other words, when the clouds are less dense, the sun shines through more readily. The sun shines through more readily, or your experience of the sun is not precluded, or your experience of the sun is not precluded or prohibited or prohibited by the density of known yourself by the density that you have known yourselves through and indeed contributed to, to, to through, your, through your denial of the divine period. That's really helpful because there, there's so many uh, topics around the idea of form and how form changes. Yeah. And translucency even of, about mm -hmm. basically just your density changes to where it's lighter and light can actually shine through you. Do you suspect that this is going to be a visible change or is this more of an energetic change? I have no idea. I mean, I suspect, you know, I actually think both are possible. I did a workshop about a month ago in Boone, North Carolina. I did a five-day thing and the guides were working with the new teachings and people were, they were doing partner work and people were literally seeing the people in front of them just dissolve you know, into energy. I mean, it was happening with the number of people. The level of vibration in the room was high, certainly to allow for some of this, but people were working with the teachings in practical ways. I don't think that means we disappear, but I think it certainly means that we're operating with less density. And, you know, the, the examples that they've used have been things like, I don't know, they talk about like a tarnished silver teapot, you know, and you don't see the brilliance of it because it's accrued so much, whatever makes something stain. And the clearing of that is what allows the brightness to occur. They talk about windows that have been 
caked over with mud. So the life that we are in an express state, I do feel is palpable and visible in many ways. You know, it's really funny. I um, I never thought about this, but I, you know, I read people. That's one of the things I do. And I, I've read over the years for a couple of like, you know, rockers, like, you know, stadium playing rockers, you know? And the first guy that I read for like that, or maybe the second one, but it was funny. So this is a nice, ordinary guy. He's got a lot of tattoos, but he's a nice guy. And he's asking about his family. And I thought, you know, like everybody else asks about how the kids are doing. And I think this is really normal. But then I tuned into him really. And his energy field was enormous. And I, cause I tuned into him when he was performing and it was, I tuned into this guy. It was like he was having sex with the entire stadium. <laughs> I've never felt anything like it, but that's what he can do. That's how big he can express at in vibration. You know, you know, people say, oh, that one, she lights up a room when she comes in. She lights up a room, you know. So when you're working with the energy in a palpable way, and you can really experience this because the energy field that you're working with is not bound by time and space, the God within or the true self, whatever you want to call it, the monad, which is what the guides like to say, isn't bound by form and structure and can be anywhere and everywhere. And that's what they're beginning to teach. So do I think people are going to become translucent? The guides talked about translucency becoming a byproduct of the teaching. But I don't know if that's just the experience of seeing another. I certainly hope that, you know, when I put my T-shirt on, it falls on my body correctly, like it's still there, you know. But so I'm, I'm not worried about becoming invisible, believe me. When we talk about once we fully realize this, we're not limited by our form and the way that we've always believed ourselves to be. I'm just reminded of that scene in The Matrix where like ne- the, they're trying to show Neo, you can jump between buildings. And it, it's always so interesting to me when it seems like there's little breadcrumbs of what we end yeah. up finding out later in public domain. And you last night on your live stream, you, the guides actually talked about how people have come close to this understanding. The mystics came close. Who do you see or who have they said other than the mystics that are closer to this knowledge? They don't name names. You know, I mean, they've said, they've talked about Jesus some as one who realized the Christ and the Christ being the the word or the divine spark or the monad, you know, the Christ principle is what they speak to it as, which is the God within. And they've spoken of others as well, you know, throughout time that have done this. I remember once I was on a podcast or remember where it was first and somebody asked, are there any enlightened people on the planet? And the, the answer was something like, yeah, and they're living in caves, you know, and being supported by their community or holding the tone for the whole planet. And um, I mean, and I was embarrassed to say it. I remember the host saying, oh, my God, that's what Ram Das used to say. So maybe that's true. I have no idea, but I have no clue um, who they are. I show up. My job is to be a radio. That's really what I do. I'm not a spiritual teacher, I'm not a guru. I'm not enlightened. I have this really odd skill set that's been developed. But the skill set's interesting. And what I have to say is I don't think that I'm that special. And there's nothing that I do that I knew that I could do before I actually did it. And that's what stretched the boundaries. And what I think that I'm able to do is give people permission, you know, in in a certain way. 
And I was a college teacher in New York for 25 years. I wasn't looking to, to be seen for this. In fact, I was sort of hiding under the couch much of that time, you know, hoping not to be. But I do think we have capacity far more than we know. I mean, I think that we all have the capacity to, to know what another's feeling or doing or even thinking, which is how I work when I, when I read. I step into people and I become them and I feel what their experience is and then try to give it language. And it's, it's accurate. So much so that I'm told that I even begin to resemble people when I do that. You know, I've been filmed reading for people that I've never met and taking on their postures and things like that. And I think that these are abilities that are probably present that we just haven't explored. But, you know, we've been told for so long that we're not allowed or that we're prohibited or it's crazy or it's evil or it's whatever that we don't really experience it. I mean, you hear these stories about somebody who breaks a world record and then everybody else breaks it right away because somebody else showed them that it could be done. And I think we are evolving it that way and our abilities are becoming more apparent. Yeah, last night you tuned into my mom and I relayed the message to my husband and he's like, I don't know if you could have depicted her <laughs> any more accurately than Not Paul did. <laughs> but so much of of this process is is kind of unlearning all of the things that we've been limiting ourselves by. And, and a lot of the things that are coming up that I find helpful, maybe other people, it d- depends where you come from, but... I've told you and uh, my audience, like I had a religious upbringing. And so I know the terminology that they use. And now it's coming up in a new way. And it's, for me, it all makes sense. Like for me, these were the disconnects that I had felt when I was going through that process. These are the reasons I started seeking beyond it. And so one of the things that they talk about though, and I know a lot of people seem to be focused on this these days, it's like, okay, well, if this is what's happening with the world, then I need to show up the best that I can be. Sin, resurrection, these words that we have these meanings for, these these ideas of. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they talk about is the reclamation of the idea of sin, which is simply calling back into being the practices or behaviors that you've chosen to learn through and reunifying them into their source. And to me, it it really shows that we can't really do wrong as long as our energy or our our aim is to align with love. Is that what you get from it? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just understanding it. They're talking a lot about it in the book that they're dictating now. And I was surprised because it's not a word that they'd used often. The, the idea of sin is something that wasn't really explored. They've said for the last few years that the only real challenge humanity faces is what they call the denial of the divine, which is, the, and that's the denial of the inherent divine. It has nothing to do with religion or a practice or anything else. They say there is one note sung in the entire universe that is in manifestation as all things, seen and unseen. They call that source or God or whatever you want to call it, the word sometimes they call it that. And they say that the aspect of us, which is the God within, you can call it the monad or the Christ, they say is without sin because it's never known itself in separation because it can't, because it's just not possible. And it doesn't know fear. 
So when they speak about re-articulation, they're talking about the manifestation of the monad as consciousness, as form, which is, they say, the redeemer, the, the reclaimer, what brings all things back to its source. So just like they say, you know, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness, you also can't be the light if you're harboring that. Or then that simply means things that you're keeping hidden and away. And they say the process of, of reclamation is one of the words they use to describe it is the, the uncovering and the receiving of those things by source, which is, they say, an alchemical process. This really isn't self-improvement. God knows it's not about, I don't think it's about behaving better or being more polite. I think there may be byproducts, you know, that are wonderful at that level. But I think what they're talking about is that who we are at our essence is holy and always has been, and that's what's been denied. And as we've agreed to that, we continue to make ourselves farther and farther and farther from source and in a belief that we're unworthy and unlovable. You know, the guides have worked really directly with the body on this whole teaching. They say, you know, your belief that maybe if there is a God, it's up on a cloud and you're stuck in the mud, means that you're operating in separation. And also, they say, you know, if you have to understand that God is also the mud. And if you deny God as the body, you deny God as the ocean and as the sky, all things made in form. So you don't sort of get to cherry pick what's divine, you know, and, and divine doesn't mean pretty or well-behaved, you know, it means holy, you know, all is holy. They say all is holy or nothing can be, but we've forgotten that. And so what has been claimed in darkness and including those aspects of ourselves need to be reclaimed in the divine so that they may be renowned. That's all. I mean, it sounds religious when I say it, but I don't think it is. And I was raised without this stuff. So you may have a much better vocabulary and context for it than I do. I think that's helpful because on one hand, I have a lot more to unlearn. <laughs> On another hand, I I think I've done enough digging that I I've always seen the gaps or the holes and what doesn't make sense to me and so to fill it feels it feels like a spiritual <laughs> experience to me if that makes sense. And yeah. I know they talk about basically because we are human regardless of anything else we we still have this human that has these has the amygdala that reacts to triggers and blah 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 and and I think my expectation or my hope used to be that I'd get to this place where I wouldn't feel that. And now what that's transformed to is I know that I feel that and I know that that's the small self and and I catch myself instead of acting on it. And so, and I know one of the things the guides say is if you're acting in anger, you're still contributing to the very thing that you wish to see transformed. And so then I just know that if I, I'm doing this, a lot of times it feels like I got to punish this person or I got to teach this person a lesson. But all I'm doing is bringing that lesson to myself. All I am doing is concretizing the exact thing that I do not want to see in the world. Absolutely. Very well said. It's absolutely right. That's the teaching. You know, what I'm finding interesting now is every time they finish a book, I say, well, I don't know what's next because I didn't know what this trilogy was going to be at all. I thought there's nothing else to say. They did the kingdom. That's it. And then I hear there's more books. So I thought what they were done and in the book that they're dictating now, they're working with the idea of memory and history and identity, all which they say have been claimed through separation. 
So they say one of the problems we have is that every memory we hold was forged through the lens of separation. And every idea of history and what happened when is still forged with this belief that we're separate from source. And so as long as we're operating that way, we're going to be reclaiming and recreating separation because it's what we're going to expect. That's the lens of the camera. And so what they're doing now is they're working with the reclamation of memory in the divine, you know, and that isn't to say that they're erasing history or erasing memory. They're just reclaiming things with a different lens, with the higher lens, I would suggest of knowing that is not born through the belief in separation, because that colors everything. Do you know what I mean? It, you know, when I first, it's funny, when I was thinking about this, when I first started to wake up a little bit spiritually, I was 25, and I'd been pretty much a staunch, you know, so I mean, maybe an agnostic, but I, I, was an, I was raised sort of an atheist, but I didn't believe in anything. I didn't have a spiritual life. And suddenly when I started to have one, I remember saying to somebody, it's like moving to another planet, you know, you have a world where there's something like God. And then I was in this world where that such a thing didn't exist. They're like two different universes with two different sets of, of, of ways of, of experiencing things. And I suspect that that's still true, although I don't experience the, the schism in the way that I used to. I don't think that there's some old man on a cloud dictating my path. I think things are, are in a different kind of coherence. But I do think that what they're talking about with these things is kind of like that. You know, how do we really claim a world made new when we're always building the old on the foundations of the old? We're going to just replicate the old without even intending to. And so what they're talking about, I suspect, may be a bit more radical in terms of, of what things can be. They've also said that the people coming into form you know, those being born are going to hold the capacity for far more than we know so that they're not just replicating the old, you know, the ability is to sort of operate from a higher level of knowing where there is every science, education, all things, all these structures may be renowned in a higher way than we've chosen to experience them thus far. It reminds me of when I first started diving into business, actually, it seems like the successful, super successful people, or a book called Psycho-Cybernetics talks about how, you know, the most successful people are able to f immediately forget what just happened, any failures that just happened. On, the, on a football field, they have a, I, I don't know about sports, so many strong words, but so fumble, whatever, and then, they, and, and then they just keep going like it never happened, it doesn't get to them. And I'm reminded of what I've suspected for years when I was really discerning religious knowledge and, and trying to figure out what it means to me, heaven and hell. And I really believe that that's something that people are experiencing right here on this plane. And the guides seem to be confirming that recently, both in the live stream and in the book. They talk about, they said, you know, if you're fearful about what is to come in the next few years, you're, you're probably going to have a pretty difficult time with it. And versus if you hold this energy, if you hold this way of being, if that's your guidance, then you're experiencing heaven here. You're holding both planes. And mm -hmm. it's such a foreign idea to so many people, but it's not if you've actually lived through that version of hell, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Absolute sense. So we also talk about, I mean, right now it just seems like what's so trending is this idea of 
justice and injustice and and like collectively righting these wrongs that have yeah. happened before. And I know that they've said like it's not your job to do that. But what have they said about moving into action, about wanting to be a, a person that's able to do this without falling into the humanity traps, I guess? Well, I mean, I you know, they do. They've been talking about social justice in their books for years. You know, they talk about lifting things to the upper room. They talk about reseeing things. They've often said you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil. And they also, and which basically means you're in coherence with the level of the problem, which is not the level of the problem is transformed or changed. But they've also said that we're a culture that likes to see people hung in the town square. That our idea of justice is some visible punishment where we can feel that evil has been eradicated. And they say that's never worked. It never works at all. So they talk about redemption again and again and again in these books and that all things must be reseen as of their source. So in terms of, of justice, I mean, they say it, you know, if you're moved to act, act. You know, they've said things like, well, if you think, you know, you're attacking the darkness, you're actually supporting the darkness because you're aligning to it at that level of battle. And to be the light is to reclaim the darkness in a higher way. You're not making the darkness wrong. You're claiming the light. So everything I suspect is being reseen, and that includes many of the issues that are up to be re-examined with reason. You know, you don't get to pretend things didn't happen. I don't think that that's the teaching here. But you can't really change things if you're pretending they didn't happen or if you're busy pounding it with a mallet. You know, the guides had, the guides said, and it was, I don't know, whatever the year was when Clinton and Trump were running. That was the year. They said everything is about to, because they said everything is about to change. And they said, your idea of choice is I'm going to have the milk. This, this is up online. It was dictated three days like before the election. They said, everything is about to change. Your idea of choice is I'll have the milk and not the cream in my coffee. And what's about to happen is the table holding the milk and the cream topples. <laughs> and they said, everything that's been buried is about to be revealed. And that's thousands of years ago and five weeks ago. And they said, imagine it's your backyard and it's an excavation site and it's not going to look very pretty for a period of time. But the opportunity is to see what is exhumed because nothing has changed until it's brought to the light. So your purpose is not to damn it and to attack it. Your purpose is to to claim it. Now, the guides do say what you damn, damn, you damns your back, and what you bless, blesses you. And people think that blessing something is condoning it, or it's become a platitude, you know, blessings and prayers to, you know, to, to those who were killed, you know, and, and meaning very little. To bless something, as the guides teach, is to realize or know the presence of the divine upon it. It's not to sanction it. It's to claim the inherent divinity that has been denied upon the thing, which they actually say transforms and changes the thing. Now, I suspect that this teaching means nothing to anyone if you believe that the idea of God itself is impotent or useless or doesn't mean anything or is just uh, an idea. 
And um, that's not going to do anybody any good at all. You know, I don't think that's what they're talking about. They're never talking about excusing things. But if you realize that what they're talking about is, is a kind of alchemy, that when something is seen in a higher way, when something is renowned or reseen as of source that has been denied it, and that includes people and parts of ourselves, these things can be transformed. And that really is the teaching. So it's not convenient. But in terms of social action, do it if you're called to do it in any way, shape or form that it shows up. You know, I mean, the guys have said it again. We are our brother's keepers, whether or not we want to admit that we are finally, because we're all connected, whether or not we want to agree to that. And, you know, what you do to what was this is a Christian thing. You'll know this one. What do you do to the least of me or something like that? I mean, that's the teaching. It's still this same teaching. You can't really do this in any kind of integrity if you're just giving it lip service, you know. And they also say, and I'll, I'll end with this, in this teaching, they talk about our moving to knowing or true knowing. And they say, in your knowing, you'll be called to act. And how you're called to act will be in alignment. So if I, you know, they said, and they said it like yesterday in a lecture, you know, if your neighbor's house is on fire, go help put it out. That's an action you take. You don't sit there and say, well, let's let God put the fire out. Anyway. Yeah. And, and they talk about if you see the homeless, you feed the homeless. Like it's yeah. not about ignoring these things, but about what I have, how I have interpreted this is if I'm called to action, be aware of the energy that I'm holding. If I'm holding yeah. anger for the thing, then that likely is what I'm spreading or, or claiming, I suppose, versus the blessing of it and, and choosing. I've been stopping myself and saying like, this is of God. And just seeing what comes to me because my small self wants to know all of the continuing steps afterwards. But in reality, I, I can't know that. And, and any expectations I try to have is of the small self. And so to just choose to focus on the fact that whatever this is, however my small self sees it, it is of God and then see how I'm inspired to act is has been really helpful for me. And it reminds me though of one of the things that they say is that they're almost done dictating books through you. They may dictate more, but they said that uh, their teaching through you has several more texts before it's complete. And when it's complete, will work through you rather differently. Do you have any ideas of what that differently is? And does that give you kind of pause? Like, oh my gosh, what are they up to next? Well, I mean, this is, you know, there's two more books in this trilogy and that's 12 books. And I think that's a lot. You know, mice is what I think. I mean, I thought they were going to be done after the first one. So this is ongoing. I don't know that there are not going to be more books, but I think this teaching may be in its coherence, what they have been doing since I am the word. And I, I don't know what they'll do after that or how they'll work with me. I mean, my understanding is as long as I'm willing to sit up, sit up in a chair and take the dictation, they're happy to talk. They've never not shown up. And I think that there are probably more things for them to teach beyond this canon of realization that they've been working with us on. And I have lots of questions about stuff, you know, and like relation. I mean, all these things that I'd like to know more about that they don't really address because it's not part of this ongoing teaching. So I don't know what it's going to be or how I'll be used. 
I mean, if I find out that I've done my job and it's time for me to go do something else, I suppose I'll have to go do something else. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful for this work, even though I don't still quite understand how it all happened. It's not what I expected, even though I've been at it a long time. You know, I had said, you know, I, I sometimes tell this story. I was studying with this uh, teacher many years ago. She was a healing teacher. She's no longer living. And she said to this class that I was in, she said, okay, everybody, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this little prayer and I'm going to give it to you. And it works. And write it down. You're going to be very specific when you write it because you're going to get it. And I, at that time in my life, I was probably 32. I'm 60 now. I had had enough evidence that there was more to blow my mind, really, enough evidence. And I was very devoted at that time. I also had nothing else, really. You know, the life that I had known had sort of fallen apart on me. And it was a strange time. It was the, the height of the AIDS epidemic. I mean, it was a mess. I lived in New York. My friends were dying all around me. You know, it was awful. But I remember basically saying and writing down, I don't know how I wrote it down, but I basically said something to the effect of, I want to go all the way with this. Like I knew there was something. I knew there was something you could call God. I said, I want to go all the way with this. And, and sometimes I wonder if the books aren't the response to that quest, you know, because it's a way that was unexpected and I would not have come to on my own. And some days I think I just should have asked for a life partner or a great apartment, something like that. That would have been, yeah, got it, that works. You know, instead I got the rest of my life. So I don't think that this stops when the books, the series stops. I don't know how many books is a few to them. For all I know, it's 15 more, you know, we'll find out, I suppose. Yeah, and they even said, we're almost done translating text through Paul, but not to say there won't be more books. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> well, I mean, to say that sometimes you wish you asked for an apartment, I, I do remember them clearly saying, like, those types of requests are of the small self, and it's not yeah. what prayer is meant for. But they also say that prayer isn't necessary, but it's so powerful because in the act, you are agreeing, basically agreeing to the power of God. You're in that moment, you're recognizing there is a God, and this is the way that I ask, and and the best way to do that is by asking beyond your will, not for some material thing, which is funny because I feel like manifestation is so trendy these days. It's like, manifest your next thousand dollars. <laughs> That's not how they're talking about it. Mm-mm. They're talking about a level of agreement or consciousness where your needs are met because they say, you know, the other, the reason if you, you don't think that source knows what you require and that you have to outline it and demand it in a certain way. And, you know, you move to this level where you're in reception and what, you know, that doesn't mean you don't act. If I need a place to live, I might have to go look for a place to live, you know, but I've, I've had this experience and I have to say it's kind of remarkable where I'm not anymore saying I need this and I need this now. And now it's like, Hmm, I wonder if I should go to uh, the dermatologist and have that mole looked at. And the next day the phone rings and say, hi, this is the dermatologist's office. We, we found you in our files and you'd request an appointment a year ago. And we never called you back. I go, yeah, I'll come in next week. You know, it's more like that now. It's kind of remarkable. You know, I may acknowledge the need, but I'm not, 
I don't know. It's not like I'm looking at the universe as a catalog for the things to get. It's much more about the experience of it all. The guides used to say, it's really funny, years ago, you know, there's nothing wrong with the house on the hill. Somebody gets to live there, but why do you want it? And if you want it to be the envy of your neighbors, you're creating in fear. And I should live in a house on a hill now, which I find very ironic, and I absolutely love it, and it's my home, and I'm very grateful for it. It's the last, on Maui, where I, where I never thought I would be. I don't even know, I'm just learning how to drive at 60. I was in New York, now. my life makes no, I live in the rainforest. You can't order dominoes, it's nuts. But, you know, this is what happened, and it was perfect. When I go back, I go, yeah, this is perfect. It happened, and it's perfect. And I couldn't have chosen this practically because I wouldn't have known that it existed as a way to live. No. And I think that's what's so beautiful about actually letting go. I don't think most people, until they actually come across a teaching, know how to live not by their own will and just kind of surrender and and trust in God, the universe source. However, it really resonates for you. I know those words can have such, just by a word, people can have resistance because of the way our society has been. But I guess the final thing I want to touch on is just if people listening right now were to focus on one thing this week, I love to give people kind of action items or a point of positive focus. What would you or the guides say that they should? I hear what I hear and what I was going to say, but I'm getting to say it is don't choose in fear. Don't make choices based in fear. Take a break from fear. Let me see if they want to say anything. Only one thing. Only one other thing. Understand you don't have to earn this. Understand that you don't have to earn this. You're going to be a good person. You don't have to be a good person for your idea of a good person or your idea of a good person. You have to say, I'm allowed. You have to say, I am allowed. It is here. It is here. And I have come. And I have come, which means I can receive, which means I can receive and allow the gifts and allow the gifts of the presence of the presence of the divine, of the divine that is already present, that is already present, but has just been denied, but has just been denied. Say yes to what is already yours. Say yes to what is already yours, period. And they're saying period. Well, thank you so much. I feel so honored to have spent this hour with you. For uh, people you. listening and that are really resonating with this, that want to go deeper and learn more, tell us about your offerings and the best place to connect. My website is just my name, paulselig.com, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G.com. I do online intensives once a month, which are five-day workshops, two hours each, where there's guides are lecturing and taking questions about people's lives and the teachings. I'm traveling again, so I'll be in Costa Rica um, just after Thanksgiving, doing a, a week, and there's a week on Maui in the spring. And um, every Wednesday night, I'm channeling online. And that's all up on my website. And the books are there, too. You can get the new book um, at any bookseller, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound. It's just there, there if you want them. And that information's on my website as well. You're very good at this, so thanks. It's a pleasure. Take care, Melissa. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 255. This was a really spiritual episode, so it's going to be a pretty spiritual challenge if you're up for it. The challenge is to see the divine in all that is. 
I know a lot of us have these sort of connections, preconceived notions, these built-in beliefs from the society around us, around the word God. I've had a pretty big evolution with it. I couldn't say the word God for a really long time. So I connected with source or the universe or the divine. But lately, I've been able to kind of transcend that and move back to God. But honestly, it doesn't really matter. Whatever is that force for you, the force of life, the magic that's just beyond what we can comprehend. Every single day, see if you can start your day with an acknowledgement of that. There's a book I really love called The Divine Matrix by Greg Brayden. I don't know if you can read that book without having a spiritual experience, just like Paul Selig's books, but it, it makes me see the world in a different way, the life force that runs through everything. And so that is what I picture when I speak to God or source or the universe. But I've been starting every day journaling, and I've actually been journaling it as almost a letter to source, to the divine matrix, just thanking God, source, the universe, for a new opportunity to learn through with this brand new day and asking for guidance and intending to be aligned with love and a higher perspective. I wanna know what you think of this. Is this a little too spiritual for you? Is it uplifting for you? Please reach out to me and let me know on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And if it is a little too much, I really encourage you to dive into one of his books and then see how you feel when you come out of it. If you found this episode uplifting or hopeful or helpful during these really kind of crazy chaotic times that we're living through, please consider sharing it, whether you take a screenshot on Instagram and tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast or share it directly with a friend, maybe somebody who has been kind of wrapped up in fear. Doesn't really matter what side of the argument that they're on because frankly, like I said earlier, regardless of what side of anything that you're on, if it's fear-based, it's fear-based. And it's really in the same place energetically. If you find Mind Love helpful, consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. I just might read your review on the show. Plus, you send a little positive energy and love. You might even be aligning with love just by doing so. The best way to support the show is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com premium or right there in the podcast app. You get early release episodes, an ad-free listening experience, and a whole backlog of over 50 exclusive episodes that are only for premium members, plus bonus meditations. And also, this show is mostly supported through sponsors. So you can find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com sponsors. And I'll give you a hint. One great way to support this show or any show that you love is just by not skipping through the ads. Yeah, our podcast analytics show how many people actually listen to them versus skip through them. And that does affect which sponsors want to continue sponsoring the show, which is the way that it's funded. So consider actually listening to them if you're not on a premium membership. Whether or not you buy them, I mean, buying them is awesome because when you do purchase from these sponsors, they're more likely to actually sponsor again. So all of these are just little ways that you can support the creators that you love. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 